there's an article written by Carl Truman, who's just a, a brilliant thinker. He's a uh, professor of biblical and re religious studies at uh, Grove City College. And he uh, writes an article that says this. He says, he talks about this idea of expressive individualism. It says, as to the specific nature of the modern self, this is what Robert Bella terms expressive individualism. So he's quoting a guy named Robert Bella who coined the phrase expressive individualism. And then he quotes Bella, who says, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Truman goes on to say, expressive individualism assumes the authority of inner feelings and what it means to be an individual, which has a number of implications. So he's talking about this idea that all of us, this water that we're swimming in, which is called expressive individualism, it's this idea of what's in me needs to come out. What's, what's in me needs to be what, what I think about, what I feel, what I talk about. It's, it's what everyone else needs to know about this expressive individualism. Expressive individualism individualism. Oh my gosh. Which any man who's been married for five minutes knows that this is totally wrong. Don't express that thought. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's a, that's a thinker, not a sayer. Um, he says this. Here's the implications from expressive individualism. To be truly oneself requires behaving outwardly in a manner consistent with those inner feelings. You have to act outwardly in a way that's consistent with the way that you feel. So whatever's in here has got to come out there. The notion of, uh, number two, the notion of authenticity has risen in prominence as a result since outward behavior that does not match inner feelings indicates that the outward social self is not a true reflection of the real inward self. Number three, expressive individualism carries with it a set of moral priorities that serves to shape the individual's moral imagination and therefore the nature of a society composed of such individuals. And number four, happiness and human flourishing tend to be identified with the individual's inner sense of psych psychological well-being or peace. That, that, that may sound like mumbo jumbo, that may sound complicated to you, but it's basically saying this, that our world believes this. Our world says that this is what, what I feel inside should come out. That, that what, 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 I believe, what I believe individually needs to be the thing. And what our world is saying is saying, look inside yourself, see what's in there, and just express that. Just make that the thing uh, of your life Make that your plan, make that who you are, just do that. But there's a, there's a problem with this, and the problem is, is that we have this real great buzzword today, which is inequality. Inequality, 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 inequality. There's all this idea of inequality. And in many respects, there is this notion of inequality in our world. There, there's rich and poor. There's black and white. There is man and woman. There are, there's all kinds of inequalities in our world. 
And yet our world is saying, you know what, whatever's inside, just express it. It seems to be at odds with itself. I mean, a few years ago, there was the idea of celebrate diversity. And I, I don't hear that as much today. It's no longer celebrate diversity. Now it's like, now it's like no, don't celebrate diversity. We all got to be equal. It's got to, it's got to be equal. It's got to be this thing. But it's, it's working against itself. It's working against itself. And it creates the chaos that we live in. It creates the chaos. The more that we look inside, the more that we look to ourselves and we say, you know what? What's in here is what really needs to be because basically what we believe is that Matt be magnified. Let his praise arise. My name's Matt, by the way. <laughs> nice to meet you. It's a great song that I just wrote. Matt, be magnified in you. How's that working? Great song, thank you. <laughs> How's that working? How's that working for you? I'll pull Dr. Phil on you. Expressive individualism says, look inside yourself and express your true feelings. And it creates the chaos that we desire to eradicate. We do this with our sexuality. We do it with our money. We do it with our time. And it leads us as a culture, not toward oneness, not toward equality, but further and further away from equality. It doesn't lead us towards unity. It leads us towards disunity. And yet our world is saying, there's so much inequality, it's got to be fixed. Just look inside yourself and fix it. That's the wrong answer. That's not working. Culture says, express yourself. That song from the 1970s, don't think about the da 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 but that's come true. We're all expressing ourselves in the way that we see fit. We're all expressing ourselves. The scriptures here have an answer to this. The scriptures have an answer to this problem of inequality, this disunity that our world experiences. The scriptures speak against it specifically. And it says, don't look inside of you for the answer as to how we can bring about equality. You have to look outside of yourself to find a way towards unity or oneness. If you look at the passage in totality, it says this. We've preached on the first uh, three verses already, but it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Why does he say therefore? He's saying, I've just told you all these theological reasons, all of these things that you should believe about God. And now here's what I want you to do with that. Here's how I want you to live. Here's the application of what we believe about God affects how we live. That's, that's the message here at, at, at Outward Church. What we believe about God affects how we live. That's what I'm telling you today. What you believe about God is going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect how, what you do with your money, what you do with your time. It's going to affect everything. And so Paul says, uh, I'm a prisoner. That's where I'm at right now. And he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. 
I want you to go outside of yourself. I want you to look beyond self and I want you to go, I want you to go to what God has called you to. You're called to something greater than what you think yourself is. You are called, if you're a believer here today, you are called to so much more than what you could possibly imagine. You are called to something far beyond where you currently are today. And Paul says, reach for that. Walk after that. Go after that worthiness of the calling that you've received. And so he says, with a, I want you to walk in a manner worthy, uh, uh, worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I don't know about you, but those do not come natural to me. If, if, if expressive individualism is what we are, and the goal is to bring about equality or unity, the truth is that whatever's inside of me is just going to cause more and more pride, violence instead of gentleness, impatience, and not bearing with people in love. That's what that's gonna cause if I'm looking to self. He's saying, I want you to go outside of yourself, I want you to look to what you've been called to, and I want you to apply that to your life, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He says, I want you to go after, I want you to look at what Christ has done for you on the cross and the power of the spirit coming into your life and that spirit having made this peace as it says in chapter two, he has made this peace and he's broken down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, which also means he's broken down, spiritually speaking, the barrier, the dividing wall between black and white, between Republican and Democrat, between man and woman. He has broken that down. He has created peace. He has made a way for peace. And Paul is saying it already exists among God's people. I just want you to maintain it. You don't, you're not creating it, the Spirit created it. You get to maintain it. You get to be somebody who's maintaining what the Spirit has done. And he's saying, go after it. Go seek for it constantly. Look for this in, uh, in your life. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. He says, this is what connects us. And he lists seven things, seven ones. Did you see them all? He, he says, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, uh, one faith, one baptism, one God. There's seven things that he lists there. But if you look closer, what you'll find out is that all seven of those things are rooted in the Trinitarian God. They're all rooted in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What's, what's he telling us there? He's telling us something, and that is, as I am, as God is, he wants you to be. And who is you? He's talking about you the body of Christ, not just you personally, not just you individually, but you as the body of Christ. 
He desires that you would be somebody who is uh, uh, captured by this idea of who God is and what he's done for you and how you should live as a result. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, for some of us, you may not even understand the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Well, the first thing is this. God is Trinity. The word Trinity means tri-unity. That's, 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 that's how we get that word, tri-unity. It's three in oneness. It's used to summarize the teaching of Scripture that God is three persons, yet one God. That's from Wayne Grudem. It's this idea of here is this God. He is three persons, and yet there is unity there. There is unity there in the midst of these three persons. It is the human explanation of the unexplainable reality of what God is revealed as in the scriptures. So when we look at the scriptures, the scriptures don't say Trinity. The scriptures just talk about God as being three parts, three persons. That, that's just what the scriptures do. So when you look at uh, uh, Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, one, one through three, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's, there's God, okay, there is, there is a God, okay, cool. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and, and God said, let there be light and there was light. So now there's, there's two aspects of God that we see here. There's at least two. You look at Genesis 1:26 where it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's another idea. There's a plural form of God. God is Trinity, it says. And then again, in Genesis 11, uh, verse seven, it says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language. God is speaking of himself as being plural. You see that over and over and over again. Grudem goes on to say, God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. What, what, what does this mean for us? There's many other scriptures that we could point to here from uh, the Old Testament, but if we fast forward to the New Testament, we'll see something here. John chapter one, verses one through three. I, talk, I talked about this on uh, Christmas Eve. It says, in the beginning was the word. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Genesis 1.1? This says, in the beginning was the word. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word, the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's talking about Jesus, and he's saying he was with God, and yet he was God. So Jesus is fully God, and yet he's also equal with God, the Father. How does that work? It's confusing. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. What's this talking about? It's saying that the creator God was there and Jesus was there and he was doing all of these things simultaneously alongside of, with God the Father. The spirit of God is there hovering over the waters as I read from Genesis chapter one, verse one and following there. So you have John who's talking about Jesus in this way. And then you look at Genesis chapter 3. I'm sorry, not Genesis. John chapter 3, where this guy Nicodemus, he's a religious ruler. He comes, to, he comes to Jesus and he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs uh, that you do unless God is with him. And so he's, he's essentially asking this question. He's saying, I, I kind of think you're from God, but I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, kind of a deal. Jesus responds in John chapter 3. 
So Nicodemus comes and says, I see that you're from God. And he's essentially saying, I want to know how to get into the thing that you're doing. And Jesus says, it can't happen unless the spirit of God is there. We have all of these passages. I mean, this, we're barely even scratching the surface here that are talking about God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Jesus says towards the, at the very end of his ministry, in Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, all three. What are we talking about here? We're talking about God is tri-unity. God is tri-unity. And there's others that I could show you as well. And yet all three have a different, different role You have the Father who plans salvation. You see that in Ephesians chapter one. That the Father plans salvation, and yet the Father doesn't plan by himself. God the Son and God the Spirit are there planning as well, but the Father, his role is planning. He has the same attributes as the Son and the Spirit. He plans salvation. That plan of salvation is handed off to the son who obeys the father. He hears the father, obeys him, and then the spirit enacts this salvation. Just like Jesus just said in John chapter three, you can't be born again on your own. The spirit has to do the work. So you have a triunity You have three persons in this one God, sometimes referred to as the Godhead. You have these three persons that are in the Godhead. They each have different roles, yet they're completely equal. They're they're completely equal. They're all three equally God, except they have to be together. It's a very hard thing to understand. Now, what is Paul saying to us here. Well, I think he's expressing what Jesus expressed in John 17, 11. He says, and I am no longer in this world, but they, referring to the disciples, referring to the church, referring to the body, they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Who, he's praying to, Jesus is praying to the Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. What's Jesus want? What's Jesus want for you? He wants you to be a part of a body. He wants you to be a part of God's people. And he wants you to be unified with them. He wants you to be connected to them, personally connected. Why does he want that? You know, in today's world, we have so many things that are available to us. It's been said ad nauseum, just this instantaneous world, like you can order food, you can, you know, find a date, you can, um, you know, pay your bills, you can, Um, make friends, you can 
whatever on our phones and supposedly be connected. I was talking with a pastor this last week and we were talking about how when we go and we serve or we give money or, or food away, what's so interesting about that is that like there's so many people who are getting help from the government with food that um, it's almost like, I mean, we're, we're bringing you a fully cooked Thanksgiving meal when we do THX. And yet the truth is, is that they have enough money on a card to go buy that food themselves. They have enough money right there, right then and there. They might have more money than I have for food um, sometimes. And I'm not criticizing that. Praise God. That's a, great, that's a great program. But what's that not providing? See, the government can hand you money. But what the government can't hand you is community. What the government can't hand you is unity. What your phone cannot give you is connectivity. That all of the things that we have available to us today through technology only lead us further and further away from community. And then something happened over the last couple of years where people just said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to be connected to the local church. I'm not going to be connected to, uh, to a body. And so I'll uh, attend very irregularly to the point where nobody knows who I am at church. I'll be so minimally involved that all I have to do, I can just go get a little bit of teaching. I'll, I'll go get just a little bit of feel good and then I'll, I'll, I'll go home and I'll be fine. But here, here's the problem with that is that that's not leading you to oneness, which is what you were created for. It's what Jesus wants. It's, it, it's, it's, like, it's like God's whole purpose through the church is to bring about this amazing unity. He says so in chapter one, verse, I believe it's 10. Yeah, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God has saved you to be a part of this one body. And yet somehow we find ourselves in this place of saying, I don't need community. I don't need to be together in these things. I don't need to be about that. And why is that? Why is that? Well, it's rooted in this, that we have picked up everything that our culture has thrown at us. We live in it. We breathe it. How can we not? We're products of it. We're products of our culture. And as a product of our culture, we are deeply entrenched in expressive individualism that says, you know what? Whatever my self desires, that's what I should do. Whoever I want to sleep with, that's who I should sleep with. Who, whatever I want to do with my finances, I just, I'm going to do it. Whatever I want to do with my time, that's what I'm going to do. But do you know what that's done to us? It's caused disunity. I mean, you look at many of the churches today that went through massive disunity because people saying, you know what? My 
ideology, my political ideology, my racial ideology, my sexual ideology, my whatever, my ideology should be the thing that gets magnified in me. You, oh, you don't support what I support in, in this area? I mean, race is a big one these days. Ripped churches apart. Race, the, 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 the accusations back and forth of like wokeism or Christian nationalism or whatever it is, like the craziness, the disunity that's happening in the local church today from people who are screaming these things. But, but this, what God's not inviting us to, what he's not calling you to, is he's not calling you to uniformity. Everybody needs to get on the same page and vote for this person. Everybody needs to be about this thing. Now, there are some things that we should get on the same page about, for sure. But it's not my thing. It's God's thing. It's rooted in who this God is. The Spirit is the one who creates the one body. He's the one that draws us all together. You and I, if, if you're a believer and I'm a believer, we have the same spirit of God in us. He's saying there's one spirit. He says there's one hope that we have. It's just my hope is your hope. We have the same hope. The hope is this in that like my hope isn't in me. It's not in Christ to be magnified. It's not in self be magnified. It's in God be magnified. It's rooted in the reality of the calling that God has given us. And what is that calling? The calling, this, this hope that comes from this calling is a calling that violates your expressive individualism. People hate this idea. God would never violate my free will. You better hope he does. Because your free will will only lead you towards inequality. Your free will will only lead you to disunity. Your free will will only lead you down the path that you think that you want to go, and that is not God's way. Because ultimately, we have to sing, Christ be magnified. God violates our free will. God violates our expressive individualism. And he says, I am going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to take your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. No longer are you going to be sitting here thinking like what I want, what I desire, what I think should be the thing that I should be doing. But now what it is, is now I have a heart of flesh that softens. And now it takes me to a new place, which it makes me tender towards conviction. It, takes me, it makes me tender towards saying, I, I want to experience the love of the Father. I want to experience the hope that comes from the Spirit. I want to experience this. And God says, good. I'm gonna do that with you in community, in a body. God violates our expressive individualism by the power of his spirit. How, how did he do that? 
He did it by sending the Son. God the Father plans it. God the Son carries it out. God the Son, what does he do? He gives us one faith. What's our faith in? Our faith is actually in Jesus, God in the flesh, who is crucified for you and for me. He does this and says, I'm going to be crucified for all of your expressive individualism. I'm going to be crucified for all of the ways that you've said, I'm going to spend my time doing this and that and this and that and, and all of these other things. God, he's crucified for all of the ways that you and I have sinned sexually. He's crucified for every bit of that. And our faith is no longer, our faith is no longer, sorry guys, let me get a drink of water here real quick. Our faith is no longer in self. Our faith is no longer in, in my ideologies. Now it's in Jesus Christ and saying, yes, all of these ways I have violated you. All of these things I have done against you. All of this stuff are, are, are things that I've done against you. So we have this one faith. We have this baptism that witnesses to what needed to happen to you and to me, and that is that we needed to be buried with Christ and risen from the grave. We needed to be buried with Christ and risen from the grave to wash away sin. Baptism itself doesn't wash you. It is an act of faith that says, I believe that this is what happened in that moment. It, there's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God Thank you, Jesus, that there is just one God, that not all roads lead to God, that morality in and of itself does not save you at all. I can't be moral enough. I have to submit to this all-powerful God who is over all and through all and in all. And then it's not about me expressing myself. It's about me expressing who God is in me. It's about expressing that in the context of community. So let me just drill down here just real quick. What's this mean for you? It means this, that you've been saved to be a part of a body and not to be an individual that attends church occasionally. You have been saved to be a part of a body. You've been saved to be in community with other people. But many of us don't have the time we don't take the time. We, we don't have enough time in our life. And why is that? Probably because either we've spent too much or we value money too much. One of those two things at least. We've spent too much and if you're like me, my wife and I are going over our budget and going, okay, we got some debt that we haven't really been focusing on recently. And so we wanna focus on that debt right now. 
We want to focus, we want to focus on that because of this. What happens when you have debt, because you've, you've overspent because you want to express yourself through some new tires, which I bought yesterday. I had to, okay. Through some new tires, through that house that may be just outside of your reach, through whatever it is that you do with your funds, when you express yourself through that because you are an expressive individual, what happens is this. There's just chaos. There's chaos and now, and now it stresses you out. Now you and I have stress in our life because we've overspent and now maybe I'm working extra hours so now I'm working on Saturdays or I might be working on Sundays and I don't take a Sabbath rest and so Sunday ends up being the only day that I really have to myself because I've overspent or as I said, money is just too much. It's my God so it controls me. And so therefore, I don't put in the time to being a part of a body. And as Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, he, he mixes this metaphor between the church and the home, the marriage relationship. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. He says, for no one ever hated his own body but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. What's, what's that talking about? It's saying, it's saying no one hates their own flesh. Christ went to the cross for you. You should go to the cross for your spouse. That's what that's saying there. But it's, it's talking about nourishing and cherishing this. This big group of diverse people of different races and socioeconomic backgrounds and male and female, and Republican and Democrat. Like, what, it, what, what is this body? This body is a big, diverse group. And what's this passage telling us? It's saying this, it's saying, I want you to be unified the way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are unified in saving you. They're completely unified. So are you unified in the local church? Have you been nourishing and cherishing the body of Christ? I got to tell you, I think one of the, the biggest things, I know that one of the biggest things that holds us up is finances. A couple things happened over, over this time period. During COVID, we got a bunch of money that got sent to us. Everybody got used to that money. The money went away. And now everybody's going, oh, crud. I don't have this money. We're going through an economic downturn. It's exacerbating this and it's making it worse. So all of us are in a financial pinch right now. All of us are in, on some level, gas is costing more, food's costing more, all of this, this inflation and everything. Money's an issue here. And I believe that it is probably one of the biggest things that's causing us to be disconnected as a body. And so I want to invite a couple people up here. Jen and Spencer, would you guys 
come up here. Oh, you're right there. Okay. Thought I saw you back there. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Jen and Spencer are going to be um, leading a financial... Don't stand in front of your wife. Good grief. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be leading uh, FPU here at, at the church. FPU is Financial Peace University. And um, yeah, you guys have done this a few times. How many times have, have you guys done this? Or we've we've taken it individually as a couple. Yeah, two or three times. I've I've hosted it three times with Jen, and Jen has actually hosted it five or six times. Five five or six yeah. times. Yeah. Wowzers. Okay, we kind of knew that. That's not really a surprise to me, but otherwise we wouldn't have you do it. But um, and <laughs> in any case, uh, tell tell us about your your experience with the FPU and and. Uh, we were just talking before service, you were talking about having been trained in that, is that right? Yeah, so we took FPU for the first time. Um, 2013? 2013, yeah. And it just sort of changed our lives and um, we stuck with it. And sometimes we fell away a little bit, so we'd take the class again in a new season we were in. Um, but yeah, I went to Franklin, Tennessee last year and I almost was hired by the Ramsey team to be a personality with Dave, if anybody knows who Dave Ramsey is. Um, that's just how much I am passionate about this and finances and people's lives and really how it can change an entire family dynamic and really your family tree. Um, so yeah, that's a path we almost went down. It wasn't the right timing, it wasn't God planned. Um, but. And you took a class there to yeah. teach a few, and now you're like Yeah, like certified. a master trainer. I don't know the yeah. exact yeah, She's a yeah. master, wow. <laughs> Should we bow? <laughs> master. master, okay. Uh, what, what do you guys love about FPU? What's, what, is, what, is, what do you guys love about it? Um, I, it's funny. I, it's I like funny. that the class okay. is funny. It's fun. I think over the nine years that we've taken it, I think my biggest takeaway is that it helps train your behavior to create margin in your life. Yeah, yeah, so, which is exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly, yes. yeah. Is that like you, it's like maybe we talked about it before. Yeah. <laughs> no, we didn't actually. No. We didn't actually talk about that. What you were saying was, was exactly kind of what we talk about all the time is we come out of it and through prayer, it's, it's the same theme over and over. Create more margin in our finances, more margin in our time in the week. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge piece of it, yeah. yeah. Anything else you'd add as far as what you love about FPU? Um, I think my biggest thing is that it is for a wide range of people and ages, diversity. Yeah. The classes are always diverse in age, gender, um, socioeconomic status. But I think my favorite thing about it is that it's, it's, non, it's no nonsense teaching on money. You don't have to be a finance major. You don't have to know anything about money. You've maybe never even looked at your bank account or are afraid to. Like wherever you are on the spectrum of knowing about investing, saving, any of those things, this class is for that person or people and it's really easy. And a, a lot of times it's stuff that you've never been taught and it's so simple. I love that about it, that it's so simple. You can learn it in the, night we, in the nine weeks and make changes. Yeah. And you don't have to be a finance major, a math major, any of that. Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I went through it um, early, not early on. I don't even remember when it was. It was a few years ago. We got serious about paying off debt. We did pay off debt. It, it, it's been massive. And we also go back and forth between like, okay, we've been following. We, we haven't been, you know, um, 
you know, making sure that that debt is paid off. And so we've had to reapply those principles over and over again. All of us deal with it. Um, yes. But Jen and Spencer are going to be leading this class. So here's, so here's who needs to be here. Some of you are, are getting older and you have not saved for retirement and you're starting to get worried. And, and this, might be, this might be for you. Yes. Uh, some of you are, uh, uh, you know, in your mid-30s in a, a family and you're kind of going, you know, we're just not really, you know, making a whole lot of progress or uh, what have you. Maybe you're, you're, you're steeped in debt. You don't have any other time. You can't go to community group, having a hard time making it to church, whatever. It's, it's creating conflict in your marriage, that type of stuff. This is for you. Some of you are just kind of brand new. You just started in marriage. And so you're just in the early stages of that. And so you should do that to avoid all of those fights that are going to happen in your marriage over, over money. Um, but then some of you have not gotten married yet. And, uh, and you need to start learning how to manage your finances. Um, some of you guys, like, man, hey, let's get it together. Let's get it together. Like, this, is, this would be a great thing for you uh, to attract. And not that you want somebody who's selfish like that. But um, let's just say... Let's just say it helps. It helps when you have a good financial picture. Um, maybe you're in high school, those types of things. So did I leave anybody out? Everybody should be a part of this. So here's how you can do that. You can go to outwardchurch.com. You can click on the link. You can sign up right now. This is the only time I'll ever tell you, take out your phone and just sign up right this second. Uh, we'll bill you later for it, that kind of thing. Or right after service, you can just go right out to Connect Central. You can sign up there and they will uh, take your name and number. It'll be very simple. Uh, Jen will be at Connect Central um, right afterwards. So if you want to talk to her about uh, any part of that, um, she'd love to chat with you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. And if anyone has any questions, you can come find me, too. Yeah, the class. absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, guys, I think this is really important, but it's, but it's not as important as the gospel. The gospel is ultimately what changes us. Um, this is an aspect, this is a practical help in the midst of this, but the gospel changes us inwardly. If you look in the gospel, you look at the, um, you look at the cross, that's the only moment where there was disunity between the Son and the Father. Have you ever heard that song, The Father Turns His Face Away? That's the only moment, and Jesus experienced that disunity so that you could be unified with the Father. Jesus experienced disunity so that you could have salvation, so that you could be brought into a family. Let me just say this. I wanna call us to something greater than what we have, to something greater than, than what we are. I wanna encourage you this year. I don't care about New Year's resolutions. I wanna ask you to make a commitment to, a, to come to church on a regular basis and try not to miss no matter what. Come to church on a regular basis and try not to miss. I mean, there's no one taking attendance. No one's going to look down on you. Nothing like that. If you're just kind of suffering, you got stuff going on, that's, that's not the end of the world. I, do, I want you to try. I want you to reach. Come to church. Get connected to people. Don't just leave. Don't just walk out. Get connected. And if you go to a community group and the community group stinks or something like that, which I hope doesn't happen, try another one. Get involved in a team. Get involved. God hasn't called you to be an individual in the local church. He's called you by the power of his spirit to be a part of his body, okay? That's, that's, my, that's my plea to you. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, I ask that you 
would make us one, even as you are one with the Father and the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would unify us as your body, that, that we would be eagerly going after this unity and to maintain it by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, that we would be a shining example to our city of what it looks like to be a community of faith, a community that are all about the kingdom of God and not our own kingdom. It's in your name we pray, amen.